Nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring today. Robert Half is here to help. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. I'm Elise Galula, co-founder of Well and Good and co-author of the new Well and Good cookbook. I'm Mary Grace Sexton, CEO of Natalie's Orchid Island Juice Company. I'm Rebecca Park, co-founder and CEO of The Well. I'm Jennifer Walsh, and I'm founder of Walk with Walsh. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from The Wall Street Journal, helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger. Welcome to a special edition of Secrets of Wealthy Women, where a panel of wellness entrepreneurs discuss the path to success through mindfulness and purpose. So, Rebecca, you used to work in banking, which you said could be very stressful. It was definitely challenging to integrate any kind of health and wellness routine into the working hours. So being on a trading desk, getting in really early, leaving very late most nights, um, I found myself struggling to figure out how best to approach a wellness routine in general. I grew up around wellness, so my mom was actually teaching yoga in the 70s when she was pregnant with me. Um, I learned about Ayurveda and meditation at a very young age. I spent summers in India growing up. So I had these tools at my disposal. I just didn't know how to utilize them at that time. You know, we had an organic garden. My mom was composting on the deck before it was cool. So I knew that I needed to figure out how to eat better, how to get good sleep, um, how to find time to get on a yoga mat and come back to that practice. And um, on my way to a conference in Arizona, I had the opportunity to go to a spa in Sedona. And I had this incredible experience over three days And I realized the power of destination wellness and that integrated model where you can have great body work and great treatments and be in a beautiful setting and have all of these different modalities integrated in one place. So the light bulb went off in my brain that I wanted to figure out how to bring destination wellness to an urban market. Uh, Melise, you thought you wanted to be a psychoanalyst. I think that the desire to to help people in a fundamental way was what was driving me Um, and, you know, just... From a personal place, I grew up with very psychologically minded parents who were into education and medicine and psychology. And um, I was a journalist at the same time, um, writing about spas and travel and beautiful destinations like the kind that Rebecca just mentioned. Um, So I was getting switched on to all these wellness practices that that people had. I always was interested in the mental health piece, too. And for me, um, seeing patients was incredibly rewarding. I mean, I just love going deep with people. If you're the kind of person who loves real conversations with people, it's it's good work to do. Um, but then I found that, you know, one patient an hour is slow change for this world. And I was really fired up to do something um, bigger. And Alexia, my co-founder, and I found um, that the, there really wasn't a lot of wellness media at the time here in New York just after the recession when people were really craving wellness. I mean, people were losing their homes, their retirements, their jobs. Um, and it was just at that sweet moment when things were percolating. Um, there were a couple soul cycles. Whole Foods was just starting to open in places. We were just starting to wear hot leggings. It, it for me, it it made me think. And and uh, we can reach so many more people, um, and we do now. We reach twelve million a month. So that's just a big opportunity that that was very meaningful to to me as someone who wanted to just expand the conversation around wellness, um, not just for myself or the people I saw one on one, but like for everybody who who needs it, which is more of us these days who can't sleep yes. <laughs> or digest True. anything, it seems. Yeah. True. Um, Jennifer, you went through a divorce, and I'm wondering what did you learn about wellness during that time? Oh, that's a good question. Um, 
I already had my beauty business for 12 years before I went through my divorce. So I felt really good with who I was. It was just a very impactful time because it affected not only me, but affected my business as well, which is a whole other conversation. However, um, I was running a lot. I was doing triathlons and marathons, and I was always outdoors. And I knew the importance of my health first and foremost. So I went through the divorce knowing that I needed to uh, get outside more. And actually, through my divorce, I found out the power of nature. And I recently wrote about how nature healed me because it was very, it was a hard time. Uh, but I learned a lot about myself. I learned about the healing power of nature. I learned about the uh, importance of keeping track of all finances before marriage and after marriage. Um, but it taught me a lot. So it helped me through my wellness journey for sure. Definitely want to talk more about finances in a bit. <laughs> but Mary Grace, how did your experience with your granddaughter prompt your interest in tech wellness, actually? Well, it was when she was a little tiny baby, my husband would have his phone across the room and she would swivel her head because there was something drawing her to it. And I, you know, that was really, really disturbing. There's so many facts out there of how detrimental it is to your health and the development of a child's brain. Now, there are facts out there, and I'm w very concerned that we're not reacting fast enough. It's affecting everyone's brain. They're mm -hmm. saying dementia will increase. They're saying the millennials, you know, their brains are even developing differently. But not everyone's taking it seriously, and it's, it's very disturbing. I think, it's gonna, I think we're in a health crisis. Elise, you say aspiring wellness entrepreneurs need to solve a real problem for people and not invent one. What do you mean? Well, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are really switched on to wellness right now because it is um, such a high in demand lifestyle, right? And it's up in every category, whether it's in the home space or in fashion or beauty. And so, you know, there's a lot of money, um, you know, uh, looking to wellness. But I think when that kind of thing happens, um, you you get people who aren't really necessarily trying to solve a real problem. And look, we all can agree there's some real problems to solve. We have an obesity epidemic in this country. Um, we have a mental health crisis in this country. Um, and those are real problems that we need solved. People need things healthier, faster, easier. Um, and there are some forms of wellness that I think, you know, we don't necessarily need it. I'm not going to call them out. But I think to be an entrepreneur and get up every morning and do what that business requires, it requires so much passion mm -hmm. and purpose and mission, and so does your team. Mm -hmm. So if you're not fired up that way, I I can't imagine that you wouldn't be, um, you know, this would be a business, I think, that would be very short-term overall. Mm -hmm. um, the real growth that we see in wellness is something that really makes a difference for people. What do you think of that, Jennifer? <laughs> I totally agree, because people see wellness as maybe an opportunity, or somebody's like, oh, great, I'm going to jump on this bandwagon. But as entrepreneurs in wellness, you have to make it a lifelong journey, and you have to make it something that's um, good for for the environment, good for people, because we are in a state of emergency, I think, in terms of our health care, in terms of our overall health, our well-being, in so many facets. So I think it's it's important, like you just said, Melissa, about making sure that you're in it for the long haul, because I see a lot of wellness. People are starting out may think, I'm going to start a company so I can flip it. And, and that, mm -hmm. for being a lifelong entrepreneur, that just makes my skin crawl, makes me sad, because... Starting a business is about passion, and that doesn't go away. So when you start something, you want to have it for as long as you can because you love what you do, um, and that's really important, especially in wellness. What's wrong with selling it, though? Because you've sold several businesses. Yes. Um, there's nothing wrong with it. I, I didn't start out when I started my first company 
over 20 years ago. I didn't start it to flip it. It just kind of happened after 12 years. And I had to. Um, I had to sell it um, for what was going on with, after 2008. 2009 was tough. I found out some incongruencies with monies and my CFO. So I had to sell it. In a lo- it's a long story, but I had to sell it when I did. Um, so... Yeah, I wasn't. It wasn't intentional. It was kind of thing. But I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Selling a company, I think it's great. Um, but it's also I don't want people to start a company just with the end game in mind. I think it's a journey, just like in life. You go through life with the ebbs and flows of how you create and affect people's lives and create community. I think that's the best thing about wellness and wellness businesses is the fact that you can create communities that really help each other. I think that's such a gift. Rebecca, how do you handle the unsolicited advice people may give you when you're an entrepreneur? Mm. Um, Yeah, great question. I think it's really important when you're setting out to start a business um, that you're very clear on exactly what you want to do, what you're trying to solve for, and why you want to do it. And along the way, you will get a lot of unsolicited advice. People are going to um, give you really well-intentioned ideas of things that you should shift or change or different approaches, um, start bigger, start smaller, go into this market, don't go into that market. And I do think it's important to be nimble in your thinking and flexible. There's a lot of different ways to get to the same place, but I do think you need to have a compass and a very clear Um, vision for where you're trying to go and relentlessly pursue it because starting a business is not Mm -hmm. easy and it's scary and it's challenging and you're outside of your comfort zone, Mm -hmm. you know, doing things that you don't know how to do that you didn't know you were going to have to do. And as long as you have that guiding principle of this is what I want to do, this is why I want to do it, this is the need in the market that I'm trying to solve for, this is what my intuition tells me is right, um, and have the confidence and the courage to really stay true to your vision. Some people may say, oh, entrepreneurship sounds glamorous. What's scary about that? Um, It's all scary. I mean, you're, you're, first of all, I think, you know, I spent a lot of time in the early years at Deutsche Bank helping hedge funds raise money. So going out and telling somebody else's story marketing somebody else's fund and helping other people raise capital, that's just a skill set, right? That's learning how to communicate. That's learning how to articulate someone else's vision. When you're in front of an investor and you're telling your story and you're sharing your vision, um, it's a completely different game, right? And you're getting feedback from people who, you know, don't always understand where you're trying to go. They don't know where you're coming from. And so it's it's hard. It's hard to have those conversations. It's hard as a woman to raise capital sitting across the table from mostly men. Um, certainly telling a wellness story. You know, I went to a spa and I wanted to bring this incredibly transformative healing um, experience to New York City. You know, people look at you cross-eyed at times. <laughs> I want to demystify wisdom traditions. I want to take Chinese medicine and Ayurveda and shamanism and distill the essence of these beautiful traditions. I want to talk about how to change healthcare in America, right? People are like, you're so ambitious, right? That's going to be so hard. Real estate's hard. So you have to just um, believe in yourself and have the courage to very respectfully take people's advice and not take people's advice. Coming up, our panel discusses how to turn your passion into a viable business opportunity. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. Thank you. 
You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from The Wall Street Journal. Welcome back to a special edition of Secrets of Wealthy Women, where wellness experts share their top health and money tips. Jennifer, how close an eye do people need to have, entrepreneurs need to have on their company's finances? Oh, that's a good one. Yes, uh, it's so important to keep your eye on the ball. It's hard because when you're growing teams, you also want to trust that you have the right people in place uh, to track the money and to be on top of the money. Um, And I think so many people are just are not complacent, but okay with just saying, okay, you've got that, you've got that, you've got that. And what I really learned, um, especially in my first business with Beauty Bar, was if you don't keep track of things and just have even like weekly meetings, I always suggest to everyone that I speak to, just even if it's just a, a rebrief of what's going on the past week or the past seven days or 14 days, but always have meetings about your finances. So that way you can find out if things look right or sound right because sometimes when you might miss a few weeks and you know in your gut where you should be in your business you kind of you're in it (laughs) and if you're really working it every day you really know if there's anything that's missing Um, so I think if you take your eye off the ball for too long things can go with without notice so we want to keep on on top of your your finances at all times even if it's just 15 minutes once a week to meet with the CFO or someone else that's running the finances I think it's really so detrimental to your business to keep on top of. Rebecca, do you have thoughts on that? It's so important, you know, and um, you are constantly doing 20 things at a time all day, every day when you start a company. You know, I think back to the original question, like, why is it scary and hard? Because you're doing everything all the time. And so you have to be in the headspace of creativity and vision and purpose, you know, creating magic within your company. But you have to also be extremely quantitatively focused. Um thinking through your finances, looking at where you're spending, where are you making good investments, where are you not. You don't want to be short-sighted and not spend. So for example, key talent and hires are going to help you get to where you want to go, um, but you just can't overspend. So you need to be maniacally focused on your budget at all times. But Melissa, what if I'm not good? You know, I'm a marketing person. I like the marketing aspect. I don't like the financial aspect. I don't understand the financial aspect. What do I do as an entrepreneur? Like, how do I deal with that? Should I just become a master of those subjects or what? I think that's a great question. A lot of entrepreneurs teach themselves a lot um, and wear a lot of hats at the beginning. Um, But you do need strong people who are bringing in the business. So if that's not you being really honest about that and finding someone like, is it a head of sales? Is it a head of marketing? Is it someone who's, you know, scouting and creating new business and literally affecting the bottom line? You know, I'm a creative person at heart and those were not necessarily my skills, even though some of my relationships transitioned into advertising relationships. For, for well and good, especially at the beginning. There were wonderful brands that wanted to support us. But I think if you're a creative person, you sometimes don't even know what's needed to drive your business. Exactly. And so you have to, I mean, being a journalist is great because we're all trained to ask questions. So fortunately, we asked enough questions <laughs> that led us in the right direction to get the support and structure that we needed and like find a COO and you know find people who could help us. And my business partner had actually um, worked in um, a bank for like a hot minute before for focusing on journalism so and comes from an entrepreneurial family, um, thank God, because we kind of needed to really draw on that superpower of hers um, to to grow as we did. Um, you, yeah, you, you can't necessarily build a business on passion alone and expect that to be enough. <clears throat> not, not anymore, anyway. I think it was very different 10 years ago when we could be a scrappy media company. Now, every type of business I know, in wellness or not, you have to look like you've been at it for two years the day you turn on the 
lights. Um, And uh, I think it's really demanding. Yeah. You agree with that, Jennifer? 100% 100% agree with that. You really have, because it's, it's a different game. And every year we're getting more and more um, in tune with what we need to do and how we need to focus. And uh, there's so many more businesses and there's so many great ideas. So how do we keep on top of our game without, again, losing track of where we want to be, um, but also making sure you see what's happening uh, alongside of you and not to fake focus too much time on it, but um, be passionate about it and grow as quickly as possible in an authentic way, which is also sounds kind of crazy, but you have to do all that at the same time nowadays. So, so many of our listeners will say like, oh, I love the idea of wellness, but I'm just so busy. I don't have time. So I'm just wondering if you could give one self-care wellness tip to our listeners that they could do today and take away from this podcast. Rebecca, you want to start? I think the main thing is find the thing that speaks to you, figure out where it works in your schedule and make a commitment to do it. I think so often um, we try to do everything. We want to work out more and get tons of sleep and cook a homemade meal every night and practice yoga and meditate twice a day and (laughs) also have a full-time job and friends and family and you set yourself up for failure. So I think being really realistic about... um, your schedule and your time and making a doable commitment to do something that isn't just wellness and self-care, but something that you actually enjoy. So for me, it's yoga. I love yoga. I've been practicing my entire life. I know that I'm a better person when I get on my mat in the morning. So it's just a decision I make. I practice yoga every morning. I wake up, I make coffee, I put on hot water, and I get on my mat, right? And it's just something that you do. Um, And when you enjoy it, you're going to show up and you're going to do it on a consistent basis. So whether it's your physical fitness routine, as I said, whether it's cooking, spending time outside, volunteering for a community organization, just figure out what speaks to you, but you have to schedule it in. If you're waiting until 6.15 and you're sitting at your desk and you're thinking about leaving, what am I going to make for dinner tonight or am I going to work out? It's not going to happen. So you have to really plan in advance. I write out my schedule for a whole week. I look at my days. I look at the nights that I have social commitments. I look at the nights that I have work commitments and I figure out where am I going to to make the window of time to do the things that I need to do to feed me and to give me the space that I need to keep moving through my week. Mary Grace? I think everybody knows now that we're supposed to exercise. We're all supposed to eat right. But I really think people need to take this detecting very seriously. I think there's a lot of time on technology that's not necessary. I think there's a lot of stress that comes through it that causes a sense of anxiety to them. And then it just fuels and takes up time. I really think people need to detect a little bit. I think we live in a culture of digital overwhelm and inbox overwhelm. Um, so anything we can do to get back to basics um, and streamline the things, as Rebecca was saying, that make us feel happy, incredibly important. I, I've been really focused on how great I feel when I cook. Um, how I kind of zone out almost when I'm chopping vegetables and I'm like, you know, not on my phone because I've got, you know, this bell pepper and this knife and we're um, and then like serving food to people. I, you know, it was something that like I was cramming in before and now I'm just kind of making a little bit more time for it. Um, And like I'm talking five ingredient recipes that I can get done in 20 (laughs) minutes. And that was the basis of the cookbook too. It's like all of us are just like struggling and like the days that I can like I have leftovers for my own lunch. Like, those are great days. So I've really been enjoying um, the, the process of making the cookbook and getting you know into cooking. And um, wellness overwhelm is really real, too, as Rebecca was saying, feeling like you have to do all those things. So right now I'm just I'm nailing this. Right? Like, it doesn't have to be a gourmet meal. It's just mm-hmm. cook dinner for yourself. Chop vegetables. Like, let it be messy. Let it be enjoyable. I think 
I cannot agree more about the meditative quality of chopping vegetables. It's <laughs> And also when you're, I found that early days of figuring out how to build a business and start a company, there really isn't a beginning, middle, and end. So there's something so soothing about cooking a meal because there's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end, right? And so that's its own form of meditation, right? Mm-hmm. So you can find the things that speak to you. The same with yoga in the morning. It doesn't have to be a 60-minute acrobatic, super intense cardio <laughs> workout. It's like sit in child's pose for 15 minutes and breathe. That's yoga, mm-hmm. right? So making it not sort of setting yourself up where, you know, for the most part, you know, we are all so driven and we are so hard on ourselves and we're so used to hard working our way through things. But sometimes backing off is the answer, right? And that's the experience that I had in Sedona, Arizona that inspired me to be um, on this path of creating the well today. All I really had to do is take my foot off the gas. That's That was the magic. That's what happened was I actually slowed down and I turned inward and I sort of listened to myself and what I needed. So I think for, for people listening to this, that's the goal. Figure out what you need first and foremost. Don't let a blog tell you what your self-care routine mm-hmm. should be. Figure out what you think you need in this moment today and it will change. So continue to check in with yourself. But what if it, you know, someone will say, you know, it feels selfish to do these things, to do the yoga in the morning or to go to the gym or to cook for myself. Like, I feel like, you know, I need to give time to my family or what have you. So what do you say to those women? I think Mm -hmm. they'll be a better person for exercising and eating right. And they're a better person at at the end of it. Jennifer, we we can't be good for other people if we're not good to ourselves. Mm -hmm. We are not good as leaders uh, for our family, for our community, for our businesses if we're not taking care of ourselves and we're not healthy, especially that starts from the mind um, within our own selves. We have to know what's good for us to be the best version of ourselves. So what's your wellness tip? My wellness tip, because I've been spending the past three and a half years studying this, is to get outside. So mm-hmm. I've really spent so much time in research and data and working with scientists and doctors to find out what happens to our brains when we spend time outdoors and when we don't. And the stats are incredible. And I knew how it affected me. So I'm really on a mission to get more people to just go outside, um, to experience the power of awe, uh, whether it be a park, a small park, a big park. You don't have to go to Yosemite. You don't have to go to the middle of the woods. Uh, so I lead my wellness walks in Central Park to teach almost like uh, forest bathing or Shinrin-yuku. Um, I'm not going to tell people, like especially New Yorkers, to go hug a tree because sometimes it's hard to do to see sweets. So I, uh, <laughs> it's just more of a meditative practice of how do you be one with the nature. And it really does something so incredible to our brains. So I think we need um, just some time to reconnect with nature to understand what we, what we really need in- intuitively. Time now for your secrets. I'm Mary Grace Sexton, and my money secret is don't spend your savings. My name is Melise Galula, and my money secret is don't spend what you don't have. My name is Jennifer Walsh, and my money secret is not to have a lot of credit cards. I'm Rebecca Park, and my money secret is prioritize spending money on experiences over things. Be sure to check out our ebook based on the Secrets podcast. WSJ subscribers can download their copy of Resilience, how 20 ambitious women use obstacles to fuel their success for free on WSJ.com today. This episode was produced by Tanya Bustos. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. 
Discover more at viking.com.